house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You may be seated. Anybody ever been tired? Sometimes you have to go and get a B-complex shot and start feeling better. And it has been 10 days since I have seen my lovely bride, and I got a B-complex shot when she came in the door. So that's a good thing. Do me a favor, open that book up that you had this morning, you know, with all the pictures in it. Let me get this out. You remember that book, the one from uh, your past that either your grandmother, your great-grandmother had, maybe, maybe you have it. You know that book. Open that book again. What if you open the Hayes book and I tell you, turn to page number 14 and you'll see in a Hayes by the name of Rutherford B. Hayes. Would that be impressive? He was the president of the United States. Now, is that impressive? He's not related to me. As a matter of fact, really, if you look back four or five generations, what you'll find are faithful gospel preachers. You probably don't even know their names. We all have that one guy that we want to make sure everybody knows is in our family. You know that one like Rutherford B. I'm sure he's related to somebody, just not me. There's always that supporting cast, though. Within your family, there's always someone who has been supporting you from the background. There's always somebody who has been praying for you and wanting you to do well and succeed, and they never really want to come out onto the stage. They don't like those lights. I myself am that person. Do you believe that? No. The people who give you that spotlight, give you the opportunity to shine, and they don't want any glory from it. They don't want any kind of praise from it. Matter of fact, they'd rather you not even mention their names. Now, I don't know your folks. But you know who they are in your head right now, don't you? You don't know my folks, but I know who they are. And while I don't know your folks who have let you shine and let you take the spotlight, I can see their fruit in your life. And so this morning, as we looked at those more famous people within the, the, the uh, bloodline of Jesus the Christ, tonight we're going to look at some who are not so famous. Let's start in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, matter of fact, through the entire book of Daniel, you'll never find who's Daniel's parents, who they are, or even their names. What we find in Daniel chapter 1 is a somewhere around 17, 18-year-old boy who is taken because of his nobility from Jerusalem into captivity. He was part of the first carryings away in 586 B.C. 
I have to assume, since I don't know anything about them, I'm going to have to assume that his parents were killed in the raid on Jerusalem. That's just an assumption. Now, you can assume that if you want to. You could assume that they were taken away as slaves, although it's highly unlikely to have old slaves. Daniel gets over into this strange land around a people who don't know who he is and people who don't know the regulations he's supposed to be living under. And he has a problem with the diet. Now, being a good southern boy, I have a problem with that diet too. Not anywhere in there can you eat fried catfish or barbecue pork. That's a problem for me. Now, Daniel and his three friends are seen as very intelligent guys, and they have the opportunity to sit at the king's table and eat the king's food and, and partake in everything that he has. And Daniel says, we can't do that. As a matter of fact, let's run an experiment, he says to the, the chief of the eunuchs. Uh, if you'll feed me for, for ten days mashed up peas and water. Now, who's excited about that diet? A poultice of peas and water. Then I will be stronger, I will be more fit, my, my, my complexion will be better than all of these. And the eunuch, the, the captain of the eunuchs, you know, he doesn't have to do that. As a matter of fact, if this experiment goes badly, it's going to fall on him. But he does. And it's Daniel who says, I can't eat those things. I have an Old Testament Jewish diet. And you say, Billy, what in the world are you talking about and how are we going to get to his parents? Easy. Where was he taught that? Did, did Daniel just come up with that on his own? Did he just figure that was going to be a great thing he could do to be different from everybody else while he's in Babylon? Or, or was he taught that from, from his very youngest memories? Daniel was taught uh, that God is everywhere all the time. Yeah, but you're out of Jerusalem, Daniel. You don't have to do that anymore. Ah, that's wrong. It doesn't matter if you're outside of Jerusalem or outside of Hot Springs, Arkansas. God is there. The end. Daniel was taught that from a young child, and now this is instilled in him, and he believes those things, and he lives by those things. And without that, we don't study Daniel's parents. We'll look through the book of Daniel and see all sorts of things within Daniel's lives that, that will point back to his parents. Why do he pray so much? Parents. Why were his friends who they were and did what they did? His parents. Parents, we have a, a greater job than probably we can even fathom at times. Those little sponges that we call children soak up everything. Both good and bad. 
Make sure. Parents, make sure that they're soaking up the good. Daniel was taught that God's everywhere all the time. It's a lesson we need to learn. Notice this one. Go over just a few chapters, about chapter 4 or 3, and you'll find his friends. You know who his friends are? You know their names, don't you? Shadrach, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? That's their names. That's the names their mamas gave them. Those names, those Hebrew names, are all praiseworthy toward God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all praiseworthy toward Babylonian gods. And I think, if I know those boys right, I think they'd rather us call them Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What do we find here? We find these three boys in the same predicament with the same uh, king as Daniel was. And the king says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build me a gold statue that's 90 feet tall. Put that into perspective for you and me today. That'd be nine stories tall. You can't miss it. And whenever you hear uh, instrumental music being played, I want you to bow down. Well, which direction? Well, toward that big gold statue. I want you to bow down and worship that statue. And, and everyone understands this. And then there comes this blast of music. And the entirety of a nation bends down onto their faces and begins to wor worship this idol with the exception of these three boys here in the back. I haven't spent much time around kings, but I have realized that they all have the same kind of disposition. And here it is. I tell you what to do, and then you do that. They don't like the fact when you tell, they tell you what to do and you don't do that. But Nebuchadnezzar liked these boys. And he said, apparently, apparently you didn't understand. So, gold statue, y'all understand? Yep. Music, you understand? Yep. Bow down and worship it when it goes off. Do you understand that? We understand those words. And so the music comes on the next day. And the entirety of a nation bows down on their face. And there they are again. Now they're just being ornery. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, This ain't going to happen again, boys. When I blow this trumpet, when I blow these instruments, if you don't bow down this time, you're going into the furnace. And we're going to make it seven times hotter. And the result of that being seven times hotter, the boys who were going to put them in there burnt to a crisp. Next day, we blow the trumpet. The entirety of a nation bows down on its face, except for those three. Now, now the king is mad. Remember those old Looney Tune cartoons where you'd see um, Yosemite Sam get mad and steam would come out of his ears? That's exactly what I'm thinking about. Put them in there. 
give them a chance first. Don't just put them in there. Nebuchadnezzar said, do you understand what's about to happen? He said, yeah, we understand. And then this phrase is uttered out of their mouth. And we are not careful to answer thee. In the King James, that sounds very poetic, doesn't it? Let me tell you what these three boys say. We're not going to pick and choose our words so that it doesn't offend you so that you might let us go. Our God has the ability to save us, but if he doesn't, then that's on him. How'd they know that? How'd they know God had the ability to, to save them? How many times do you think they heard going to bed the story of Moses parting that Red Sea? Moses providing for the children of Israel in the woods. How many times do you think they heard about God sending those serpents and looking at that brass pole? They know who God is. They've seen him. They understand. How many times do you think they've heard prophets in their very time period speak to them as the very oracles of God? And say, God is requiring this. You know what these three Hebrew youths learned from their parents? It's only God. It's only God who deserves worship. 90 foot tall statue, I'm sure it's an impressive sight. But it ain't God. Musical instruments, I'm sure they were played the best that they could have been in that, uh, in, in that uh, area, in that nation. It's not God. Those youths learned only God. Only God deserves our worship. Notice this next lesser known lady here. Miriam, you find her in Exodus chapter 2. You don't see her much. She makes an appearance here and there throughout the life of Moses. <clears throat> it's got to be tough to be the sister of Moses. You know, I, I look at her and I kind of feel bad for her. I, I kind of feel bad for the brothers of Jesus. It's got to be tough to be the brothers of Jesus. When you think about Jacobed's family, what's the who is the first child you think about? Who? Moses. That's right. Who was the first child? Not Moses. It's got to make you feel. Can't make you feel great. So Moses is a little baby and they're, they're, they're breaking the command of the nation of, of Egypt in order to save his life. Because Jochebed and her husband knew that Moses would be a, 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 good, a good child. Put him down in the, in the reeds down by the river in a little basket that they've weaved. I'm sure somehow have made this thing waterproof. And here she comes. To make herself clean, the daughter of Pharaoh, and she, like every other girl, 
I don't think boys hear this. But she, like every other girl, heard the baby and went to explore what that was and found a baby. Would you just leave the baby there? How long do you think that, that process was where she's talking to those around the yard? Did you just leave this baby here? What do we, you can't just leave a baby in the water, can you? And, uh, we better just take that baby on home. Well, she adopts Moses as her child, which in turn, would, he would become an adopted child of the Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's daughter doesn't have any time to raise him. And it's Moses' sister who steps out of the shadows for a brief moment in Exodus chapter 2 and says, I've got the perfect person for you. Goes home, gets his mother. His mother raises Moses in the house of Pharaoh, but underneath the rules and regulations of the Israelites. He knows who he is and what he is from a very early age. Why? Because Miriam stepped out when a place where she, she could have been killed. Stepped out to, to say, I've got the perfect person. Stepped out of the shadows for a brief moment. And Moses is taught how to serve God properly. You know what the lesson is here? The lesson is not from Moses. The lesson is from Miriam. And that lesson is this. There are a lot of folks around who are strong in the faith. And that's a reflection of strong parents who are strong in the faith. And that's a reflection of strong parents again who are strong in the faith, which is a reflection of strong parents. You think it matters, parents? What do you think those first three points are about Daniel's parents, Hebrew youth's parents, Miriam's parents? Are you getting it yet? If I want my children to be strong, yep, you better be strong. I want my children to be taught, yeah, you better teach them. Let me say this, and I think I can say this from from this perspective. <clears throat> if, if the intent of making your child strong is to give them to me for about six weeks, they're going to be lacking. All I can do is supplement what you do at home. Teach them. Teach them. Notice this next one. Rachel. Rachel's not even seen in Genesis chapter 37, is she? Oh, she's playing behind the scenes. In Genesis chapter 37, you have a kid by the name of Joseph who's first sold by his brothers into slavery and then picked up and sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar. You remember Potiphar? Potiphar was the chief head cutter offer. He was the chief executioner. Captain of the guard, as it said. <clears throat> and Joseph is working in his house. Now, Joseph seems to be a pretty attractive young feller. I'm sure he's young. I'm sure he's muscular. I'm sure he's a little different looking than everyone else around him. I'm sure that catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. And she began to look and linger at the stare. And then in my mind, I can see her beginning to 
make sure she knew where he was all the time so she could watch him. She catches him one day, and you recall how he runs out of his jacket and runs out of that bedroom where they are, and he's sent then into prison. You see Rachel in there at all? In chapter 37, you see her in there at all? You got to do a little more investigating to see her in there. You see her in there when Joseph does not give himself over to those lustful activities. He doesn't know her name yet. He hasn't seen her face yet. But he is still understands a couple of things about marriage. One, Potiphar's wife is off limits. And two, I want to keep myself pure for my wife. You never read her name here in Genesis chapter 37, do you? She's all the way in there. Here's the lesson to learn from Genesis 37. We need to respect the laws that God has put in place from Genesis chapter number 2 forward about marriage. Our society tends to look away from the traditional, as quote-unquote, marriage. And we like to accept anything and everything that could call itself a marriage and put it into that particular category. That's not going to work. Matter of fact, in, in Genesis chapter 2 and in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus repeating those things, Jesus says that God said these are the requirements for marriage, and there are only three of them. Now, if we wanted to be mean to our youth, uh, I could get them to tell you what they are. I'll remember these. Leave, cleave, and one flesh. Those are the rules. Get out. Be joined to your wife in your house. And y'all make a family. And those have been the rules, and those continue to be the rules, even until July 31st, 2022. And if the Lord allows the earth to continue to spin, that'll still be the rules. We've lost respect for marriage. Some part because we've lost respect for God. Notice this. Enoch, he'll be our last one. Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, you don't see him very much. Matter of fact, you've only had this reference and, and one more in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. You got four whole verses in the entire Bible about this guy. What did Enoch do for a living? I don't know. How tall was he? I don't know. Was he married? I don't know. Do he have kids? I don't know. But I know the very most important things about him that one person can know about another. That he walked with God and he was rewarded for it. What he looked like? What did he do? I don't know. I don't know any of those things. I know this. Enoch walked with God. And was rewarded for it. What color hair did he have? How long was his beard? I don't know. Here's what I know about Enoch. Are you ready? Enoch walked with God. And, and was rewarded for it. 
Now, what am I supposed to learn from Enoch in, in four little verses? Probably the most important lesson out of all of these lessons from today. Here's the lesson. At the end of our lives, whether it be like Enoch's, who was translated, whether it be like the rest of humanity who passes from this life, slips over that dark veil. I'm going to either be rewarded for walking with God, or I'm going to be punished for walking away from or in front of or walking contrary to God. In four verses, God would tell us the importance of depending on Him for our lives. Hmm. You never knew that so many people in the shadows did so many things. And perhaps you, you look and you say, well, how in the world does Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 play into this at all? Were you just out of your mind when you wrote that down? I'm glad you asked that question. You see, it's without these guys, without those guys that we spoke about this morning, without those more famous Jewish men and women, without those lesser known Jewish men and women. That the line of Christ is severed. And that we have no hope. That he doesn't stand on that mountain outside of Jerusalem and say, you're the salt of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it on, under a bushel, but in a candlestick, so it gives light to the whole house. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Every player found within this book is pushing us closer to the Messiah, the redemption of man. Do you know Jesus the Christ? That's a loaded question. I don't want to know if you know of him. I don't want to hear facts about him. Uh, well, he was born in Bethlehem. He lived in Nazareth. He, he was during the old times. He seemed to be a nice guy. I don't want to hear all that. My question is, do you know him? You know what he has done? What he offers for you and only you and for you, for you, for you. If you don't know, he offers an eternity with God. He offers salvation to you from, from your, your own selfish and sinful ways. But you're going to have to know him. You're going to have to hear what he says and Believe those things. You have to repent of your sin. Confess that Jesus is the Christ. and Be baptized in water to be adopted to the family of God. Then you'll know him. But it doesn't stop there.
The other problem with baptizing people is, Michael, once they get off that bottom step right there, then they got a choice to make. And every choice after that in life is this. Will I be faithful to God or not? That's every choice you'll ever make in the rest of your life. Have you made the right choices? Or do you find yourself being unfaithful? God is always waiting. The church is always happy to pray for you and with you. But you're going to have to take that first step. You're going to have to come right now while we stand and sing.